Thank you for everyone who's led us this morning um, in um, the Palm Sunday Reflection. I'm just going to go another sort of day or two further on from that. We're going to be in John chapter 12 uh, today. And I just want to highlight some verses from John chapter 12 in just a moment. Um, By the way, I should say, for those of you who are visitors, my name's Mark. I'm one of the the leaders here. Uh, It's great to have you. So here we are, um, as Jill began us this morning, we're entering uh, what is often referred to in the church calendar as Holy Week, um, also of course known as Easter. It's the time when many Christians, followers of Christ, take time to reflect on those last days of Jesus' life here on earth, his mental agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, his betrayal, his arrest, the trumped-up charges, the sham trial, the whipping, the beating, and ultimately his death nailed to a wooden cross and buried in a tomb. But it's also a time of celebration in that three days later, he rose again from the dead. I encourage you to maybe this week to use John's Gospel. You can pick any of the Matthew, Mark, Luke or John. But certainly from John chapter 12 onwards, there's tremendous detail in the book of John. John goes into detail of all of these elements. And you can just take bits of that each day, maybe with your breakfast, maybe with your tea, whatever. But just to read through, I encourage you, from John 12 onwards. Very powerful. One of the the Bible commentators, people who write about the Bible, a man called Bruce Milne, said this, Christian faith is Easter faith. Christian faith is Easter faith. The cross and the resurrection are at the very heart of the Christian faith. There are lots of things that I think at times you talk to people about the Christian faith and they, they maybe they think about a building that looks like this. Maybe they think about statues. Maybe they think about bells. Maybe they think about types of clothing. Maybe they think about what we might refer to as social action, good works and caring. And those are many things that people might attach to the Christian faith. But Christian faith, true Christian faith, is Easter faith. The cross and the resurrection are at the heart of true Christian faith. And actually, many, many of those other things need at times to be stripped away because we can lose sight of Easter faith, the cross and the resurrection. Of course, for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, Easter comes at the beginning of spring. I, I love spring. I don't know who's fans of spring. Is it people yet? Love spring. Love looking for all the signs of life, at least the ones my dog hasn't trashed yet, but uh, we're, we're trying to train him. Trying to train him. But there's shoots appearing. I just get my morning coffee and go for a walk down the garden. And they shouldn't all be moan, all right? And some of them need to be left. Um, <clears throat> but shoots appearing. Early blossom. Anybody got any early blossom? A little bit of early blossom. But there's a real sense of expectation 
of what is to come. And for that reason, it makes it special that for us, in the Northern Hemisphere at least, Easter is at this time of year because although there are parts of Easter that are very dark, the Easter story, full of agony, blood, pain, suffering, it's also one of expectation. To quote the great old phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Sunday is coming. There's an expectation because we live this side of the cross. We live uh, in the knowledge of the resurrection. Uh, We have an expectation. We must remember. We share communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance. We must remember, but we remember with expectation and hope, with faith. Because the tomb is empty. Jesus is seated on the throne. Of course, this is also the time of year, certainly here, for sowing seeds. Who's sown some seeds? Anybody? Am I the only one? Oh, no, we got... We got grass seed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fine. Yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. This afternoon. Who's going to sow some seeds? Yeah. We've been sowing quite a lot of seeds this year. We just decided that's one of the things we're going to do. It's always amazing to plant those little tiny seeds and and to see sometimes at least huge plants, huge plants come. One of my favorites, I'm a big fan of uh, sweet peas. Anybody love sweet peas? I love sweet peas. I can never have enough sweet peas. You you might say, Mark, you're getting old. But no, I've loved sweet peas ever since I was a little boy because my mum used to love them and grow them and I've always loved sweet peas. And actually, a sweet pea seed is tiny. And yet, if you can get it to grow well, I mean, a sweet pea plant is taller than me and covered in flowers, and the fragrance is just incredible. Very, very easy to do. Not difficult, but you can, you can plant them today. <laughs> flowers come. Fruit comes. It's interesting in that those verses that Jill read to us about Jesus coming, it talked there that he was soon to display his glory. Did you hear that? I, I was so thrilled when she read that particular version. He was soon to display his glory. What's this got to do with seats? There is a glory that is hidden in the seat. You look at a tiny little seed, you think, well, there's nothing there, but there is an awareness. That when something happens, flowers, beautiful flowers, fruit comes. But for the glory, the fruit, the flowers to be seen, something needs to happen. The seed has to die. John 12, verse 20. Forgive me, I forgot to do the the screen today. Let me read these verses to you. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they're going up to the festival. We've heard about it. It's the festival of the Passover. And there were some Greeks among them. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. 
Some of you, even recently, in recent days, have come, as it were, into the church here and you said, we want to see Jesus. We want to find out about Jesus. It's wonderful. It's a wonderful phrase. We would like to see Jesus. And by the way, this is not just a, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're fanboys, you know, we, we, we sort of want to see this famous guy. No, this is, a, this is a serious request. The way it's written, as I understand it, is this is a serious, we want to meet with him and talk with him and engage with him. It's not just we want to see him a bit closer, we want to meet Jesus. Serious interest. Verse 22, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew's very good at taking people to Jesus. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The not yet is over. The not yet is over. See, right through the book of John, you get this not yet. Right at the beginning of the story, do you remember the story of uh, the wedding at Cana and the wine? What did, he, what did he say to Mary, his mother? You remember? My time has not yet come. Now, she doesn't listen to him. She says, do what he says. Do what he says. <laughs> but he says. My time has not yet come. And you find this running through the book of John. The woman at the well. Remember the woman at the well? Another Gentile there. The time is coming, but, but, has not yet come. But the time is coming. It's coming. It's coming. And these Greeks, Gentiles, non-Jews, acknowledgers of God for sure, worshippers maybe even of God because they're coming up to the Passover festival, they're coming up to Jerusalem, but they're Gentiles, they're outside of the promise. They're not Jews, but they make this genuine inquiry to spend some time with Jesus and it's like they light a blue touch paper. Their, their question, it's almost like Jesus is waiting, it's waiting and waiting. And then these Greeks, these Gentiles, Gentiles are coming. And they, we want to see Jesus. And the touch paper, if you like, the firework is lit. It's lit. Jesus, there's some Greeks who generally want to meet with you and spend time with you. And what does Jesus say? The hour has come. The hour has come. The Son of Man to be glorified. The not yet is over, now has arrived. Everything has been leading up to this moment. The true depth of the glory of God is about to be revealed. He was soon to reveal his glory. Soon to reveal his glory. But as, as Jill said, in a, as she shared this in the prayer meeting, not by military might. Not by a military warrior riding in on some great white charger, ready to overthrow the Roman oppressors. The glory of God is about to be revealed by a seed dying. By the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. 
Jesus Christ, the eternal Word of God, the eternal Son of God, is about to humble himself and become obedient even to death on a cross, the most accursed way to die. And this is glory. This is the glory of God. Verse 24 of John 12. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Many seeds. Phil Moore in his Straight to the Heart book on John says this. We have to remember that John's original readers... By the way, when, when you're, whenever you come to the Bible, whenever you're looking at the Bible, it's always important to remember about the original readers. Who was it written to, first of all? What was their situation? What was their context? Because it helps us to understand today. So we need to recognize that John is writing a letter to a particular group of people. Now, it is for us also, but we have to remember that John's original readers were looking back. They're looking back with sadness in many ways, with nostalgia. They're looking back to the glory days as they saw it of Jesus here on earth, walking this earth with his disciples. But John writes to them and wants to point them to a bigger picture, to an understanding. He tells them to shift their eyes back onto Jesus. To look to Jesus and to recognize that Jesus' death day was his glory day. The world looked on. The world looked on as Jesus hung on the cross. Call yourself the Son of God. You can't even come down. You can't even get off that cross. Great old hymn from my childhood. He could have called 10,000 angels. But he died alone for you and me. But the world could not see the glory. The world could not see the glory in this seed. Here is a seed, if you like. We can... Slightly unusual metaphors, but here's something going on. It does not look glorious. It's bloody. It's awful. It's Where's the glory of God? But because that one seed died, he's caused many seeds to be brought to glory, including you and I sitting here today. Through him, uh, he, he caused the glory of God to be known and seen in the world. That redemption plan that, that Paul wonderfully, wonderfully exhorted us in and, and spoke to us about. The price being paid. That's what redemption means. Something is there on the shelf, if you like, or something is lost, it's broken. It has to be redeemed. It has to be brought back. And in order to be brought back, a price has to be paid. The seed has to die. But as it dies, it causes many seeds to be brought to life. And through him, we get to carry that to the ends of the earth. 
John wants his readers in in the Greek-speaking Ephesus and us to wake up to the fact that Jesus died so that we could live. Somebody smile in the room, please. Somebody smile. I know you're listening intently. Jesus died to bring forth life. And you and I are part of that life today. Friends, if we're not careful, it can be very easy to to cover up the hearts and the richness of the Easter story, particularly when it comes to the agony of the cross. Nothing personal against rabbits or chocolate. Uh, Currently, we happen to have both of them in our house. Well, not in our house. One one lot in the garden, one lot in the house. You can work out whether the chocolate is in the garden or the rabbits. Anyway... Nothing personal against rabbits and chocolate. But they have nothing whatsoever to do with the real Easter story. The central theme of this message is about the glory of God. And at its very heart is the cross. But it can get so easily covered up by Easter treats. What Jesus does here in this moment is to use the image of the seed to illustrate a great spiritual truth, which is this. There can be no glory without suffering. No fruitful life without death. No victory without surrender. Jesus knew what it was that he was about to go through. Within a day or so, it says he was so mentally and emotionally challenged as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane about what was about to happen. It says that his sweat, Luke says, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. We now understand that's a medical condition, that his mental anguish was such that the capillaries under his skin were breaking He was sweating blood. Jesus knew what he was about to go through. But he saw beyond, as we heard, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross to the glory that would follow. That all nations might become disciples, as Donna was so wonderfully sharing last week. We've currently been using this sort of overarching theme of red-letter disciples. And one or two people said, well, what's this red-letter disciples? It's, it, it's just that some Bibles have the words of Jesus written in, in red letters. Now, we believe in the whole Bible and we want to use the whole of the Bible. But we've been talking about discipleship. What does it mean to be disciples? What does it mean to be followers of Jesus? And so... At the moment, particularly, we're looking at the words of Jesus, and it's quite useful because they're in red letters in in some Bibles. But we're looking specifically, what did Jesus say to people? What did he say to his disciples? And what does he say to us today? What does it mean for us to follow him? And these verses are such an important part of that. So I want to bring just a little bit of application because there's this glorious truth that we need to be reminded of as I've just sought to do for the last few moments. 
But the truth that the glory of God is brought about death is not only true for the Saviour, it's also true for his disciples. We have to read the next verse. John chapter 12, verse 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honour the one who serves me. Jesus is not only using this illustration of a seed about himself, he's also speaking to whoever would follow him. That includes many of us here today, I know. He's speaking to whoever would follow him. We were created to display God's glory. We were created to display God's glory. The potential for life, God's life within us, is astonishing. It's glorious. However, that true life will never be fulfilled or released unless we yield, unless we surrender, unless we die to self. Unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it will bring forth fruit. Glory will be displayed. That was true for Jesus. Jesus had to die. He had to go to the cross. But there's an invitation to each one of us that the glory of God might be seen in our lives that we too die with him. Red-letter disciples, servants, of Christ, those who truly follow Christ are those who follow him into death, into burial, that we might know resurrection, hope and glory. Now the implications of this are really challenging. Because Jesus says, to gain eternal life, which is the ultimate glorious promise that comes from the seed being buried, eternal life, we must hate life in this world. What on earth does that mean? I don't know if you've ever read verses like that in the Bible and thought, what does that mean? I remember as a young boy, young teenager, growing up in church and sometimes reading verses like Luke chapter 14, verse 26, where Jesus said, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And I remember as a, as a kid reading that thinking, what the, does that mean? I'm sure we're not supposed to hate each other. We're supposed to love each other. My mum's always saying that. I'm the eldest of four. I don't understand. I don't understand. Hate, father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Anyone who hates their life in this world. What, what's going on here? I don't believe that Jesus was advocating us walking through life with seething hate, uh, as we would understand it in the English language. That's not what he's saying. Don't believe that. What I'm told by the commentators is that 
This is a Hebrew form of speech. It's a particular way of speaking. It uses extremes as a form of contrast to communicate something very strongly. So it's a way of speaking that Hebrews would understand. It uses an extreme form of language. It's like a contrast between hot and cold, as it were. So although it doesn't literally mean hate, as we might understand it from an English perspective, at the same time, we mustn't water down the force of the challenge that Jesus puts to all those who would follow him. There is a a serious challenge that Jesus is putting right here in these words and in other places when he speaks. Faith in Jesus involves dying. It's quite a lot of serious faces here today, but it's a serious word, isn't it? Faith in Jesus involves dying. Particularly dying to self. My desires, my ambitions, my will, my way. You've heard this said before by preachers, I'm sure, but one of the most popular songs that is played at every at many, many funerals in this country is I did it my way. Faith in Jesus involves dying to my way. That's why the world in which we live finds it so challenging. It's a total challenge to priorities. My priorities, my everything is challenged. The world says, I can do what I like. I can be who I like. No one could tell me, can tell me who or what I should do or be. No one can tell me otherwise. And you know, brothers and sisters, that message can even creep into the life of the church. It can creep into the life of individual Christians. And so my, my walk with the Lord and my life in community with other believers becomes about something that I bolt on. Something, not something that I'm, I'm added into, not something I belong to, but just something that I attach until it gets uncomfortable. Oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. I won't. I'll leave that bit out. Unless a grain of wheat dies. Dying. Jesus said, anyone who loves life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life, this contrast, this powerful contrast, will keep it for eternal life. Will keep it for eternal life. To, to quote that man, Bruce Milne again, to follow Jesus as Lord, of King, Lord and King means ceasing to follow the lords and kings of this world. Can I read that again? To follow Jesus as Lord and King means ceasing to follow the lords and kings of this world. The lords of self, me and mine. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Apart from this bit. (laughs) Apart from that bit. Apart from this relationship. 
Apart from all to Jesus, I surrender. All to him, I freely give. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't glorious and wonderful things, fruit that he has for us to bear. That doesn't mean that our lives are going to be boring and uh, irrelevant and untrue as Nicky Gumbel has been telling us on uh, Alpha we've been doing. Please pray as we look at Alpha again tomorrow night. We're going to look at the subject, why did Jesus die? What a great thing to look at in Easter week, isn't it? Pray for us as we look at that. He has a glorious life for us. Nicky Gumbel says, he said, I didn't want to be a Christian because I thought it would be terrible and boring. He said, I had no idea of the glorious truth that would be released, of the life that I would live. There's an invitation to die to self that we might live, live to God. That we might receive life, true life, full and overflowing life. But it's challenging. It's stretching. Where are my priorities? The alternative to this is serious. To cling to this life is ultimately to lose it forever. However, if we become that seed that is willing to die to follow Jesus in his death and, uh, and burial, then there is a glorious promise, a resurrection promise, where I am, my servant will also be. I will be with you, even to the end of the age and on into eternity. I will be with you. Where I am, my servant will be. You will not be on your own. I will be with you. The guaranteed presence of Christ with us by his Holy Spirit. I'm sending you my spirit. That's why we love to go on from Easter to Pentecost. I'm sending you the counselor, the comforter, the alongside one. He will be with you. Indeed, the word there is he will be in you. He will be in you all of the way. And the promise of being honoured by the Father. My Father will honour you. He's honoured the Son, he's honouring the Son, and he honours those who follow the Son. The honour of the Father here now and in to the future to come. So we have a choice this morning. There's a challenge Fruitfulness is costly. A true follower, a true disciple of Jesus is not someone who just dips in and out when they feel like it. Oh, I'll walk this bit of Jesus' path, but oh no, um, we're just going to take a detour. Dying to self, giving up my rights, laying down my ambitions and preferences for the sake of knowing Christ. That's challenging. My own personal experience has been at times when I've had ambitions, I've had desires, and I've known that it's been right. I've had to come, as it were, to the cross. I've had to come to Christ and I've had to lay them down. 
I've had to come to that point where I've, I've surrendered. There's been numbers of times in my life where, Lord, I thought this is what I was supposed to do. This is where I thought I'd be going. This is what I thought I'd be doing. And it's like the Lord saying, will you give it to me? Will you give it to me? And in fact, as we've said sometimes before, do you know, so often the tighter we hold on to something, the less of a grip we have on it. It's been my experience. But as we come to him and we surrender to him, something new, something glorious gets opened up, which actually, in my experience, often is so much more than I was going for. I was going for this, and it had a certain shape and size to it. The Lord says, let me give you this. If only you'll surrender to me. If only you'll follow me. i never forget when I first heard about the possibility of moving here. Those who knew Jackie and I very well when we lived in Swindon for 25 years would know that every holiday, almost every day off, where's the one place that you would probably find us? If you wanted to find us, it would be by the sea. But we were living in a town that was almost about as far away from the sea as you can get in the UK. Um, so we used to go to the sea. So every holiday was always by the sea. How close was the cottage or how close usually was the campsite to the sea? I never forget somebody saying to me one day, Mark, you love the sea. God, you're getting an invitation to go and live by the sea. But that came off of the back of a season and a time where things had to be laid down again. So laying down, laying down. Lord, I'm laying down my rights. I'm laying down my ambitions, my desires. And the Lord says, now let me give to you. Even Jesus himself, coming to a close now, coming to land. Even Jesus himself was faced with this challenge. You see, oh, it's all right for him. He was Jesus. Now, in every way, he was human like us, yet was without sin. He experienced the challenges and the tensions that we face. Verse 27, my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Can I do this? Can I go through this? I encourage you through this week, as you just take a moment, as I say, over breakfast, over your tea, whatever, as you have a coffee break. Recognize, look at Jesus through John, John 12, 13, 14. Look at what's there. What shall I say? My soul is troubled. Father, save me from this hour. Take me out of this. Remove me from this. No. No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Look at him there, ripped to shreds. Look at him, he's dying, he can't even save himself. Three days later, the tomb is empty. He's gone. And he appears. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. <gasps> my Lord and my God, says Thomas. Come here, Thomas. Look, look, look. Look, look. 
Look, my Lord and my God, I have glorified it and I will glorify it and I'll go on glorifying it in your life and in your life and my life. Glorifying. The crowd that were there heard it and said it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of way he was going to die. Can I invite you to stand? Hannah, would you just perhaps serve us? I don't know if there's a song that might be good to finish with. How do we respond to this word this morning as we walk into this Easter week? We certainly respond with thanksgiving, don't we? We give thanks for this life, the life of obedience. Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God, something to use as his advantage, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We give thanks. We give thanks. That's part of our response. We give thanks to the one who gave his life, to the seed that died, that we might no life, that we might be the fruitfulness of God in this world and that we ourselves might bear fruit. But there's also another response. Anyone who will love their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Just in this moment of response, what's your priority today? As a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, what's your priority? Is it to hear his voice and walk in his ways? Is it to acknowledge him? Is it to stay close? Is it to be obedient? Or do you feel the challenge of picking and choosing? Are there areas where the Lord is saying, I want you to die to that. I want you to lay that down, surrender that, that you might know life. Are there things in your life where you'd say, Lord, you can have all of it except? Invitation today to give to him that exception. That you might know life, that you might display the glory of God that you were created to display. That you might be fruitful. Maybe just for one or two you say, I can't let go of that. I can't get low, low of that. I can't let go of it. Jesus' words to us are, you'll lose it. You'll lose it. But if you surrender it, if you'll allow 
lay it down, die to self. I will raise you to eternal life. I will raise you. You'll know my glory in your life. You'll know my life surging through you. Whoever serves me must follow me. But the promise is where I am, my servant also will be. The Lord says, I am with you. I will be with you. I'm for you. Whatever your battle, whatever your challenge, however challenging it feels, the Lord says, I am with you. Receive that today. If you will come with me, I will be with you wherever you go. My spirit will be within you. Lord, help us to respond today. Help us to be thankful and help us to respond as disciples, as servants, those who die to self and live to Christ. We ask your Holy Spirit's help and strength as we do these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.
The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man or woman who walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Put your trust in the light while you have it, so that you may become sons of light. Even now, right now, I invite you, put your trust in the light. And Lord, for many of us here in the room right now, we say, we trust in you. You are our hope. You're our song. You're our light. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. Help us, Lord, in these days, in the world in which we live, to not just personally know that and believe that, but that we might display it and show it and share it to a hurting and dying world. We pray. We give you this day and we give you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.